morning. Uh, second week of Easter, which means Christ is risen. Christ is risen. Christ is risen. Uh, last week we began uh, a series entitled Jesus is uh, fill in the blank and I gave a task to our teachers uh, and they delivered uh, well. I gave the same task to our deacons uh, this week and we'll see how they do. Let's roll the tape. Many years ago, I asked God to show me if Jesus was the Messiah the Jews were expecting. And as I read the Old Testament, God clearly revealed to me all the scripture and all the prophecy that pointed to Jesus. After finishing the Old Testament, I was convinced Jesus truly is the Jewish Messiah. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And his suffering and death on the cross would save anyone who would receive him as Lord and Savior. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. I am convinced that God loves us all and sent Jesus to be the Messiah for the Jewish and Gentile people. Jesus is made to be sent. In the Bible, in 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says that God made him to be sin who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God. In other words, Jesus made a bizarre trade. He took upon himself all of our sin and the punishment it deserved, and in exchange, he gave us his righteousness, that we may use it to spend eternity with God in heaven. Jesus is someone that I can relate to. You know, whenever I feel like God is just this being that's distant and lives way up there in the sky, you know, it's nice to think about the fact that, no, God is someone that through Jesus came to earth here and can understand the struggles and all the trials that we deal with here on earth. And to me, that gives me a lot of peace and comfort. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. That's according to John 14, 6. Our world is filled with uncertainty, but we can be confident in the fact that Jesus offers a path. This path is difficult and certainly not popular, but our purpose is to follow Jesus and help lead others down his path, because it ultimately leads to God our Father and eternal life. Jesus is redemption. We have been bought with a price. In Ephesians 1, Paul writes, In him we have redemption, through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he has lavished on us. On the cross, Christ took the penalty for our sin our shame and he redeemed us so that we may be adopted as sons and daughters of God. Jesus is redemption. Uh, the sermon series uh, happens to be uh, the title is like a, a sermon populating machine, because uh, I think uh, I might just steal some of what other people are saying and then give them back to you in the coming weeks. Uh, and so what I'm doing here is I'm plagiarizing uh, and, and, and getting ideas uh, for what we're going to do 
the coming weeks. In fact, actually, next week we'll probably do exactly what Dave Ugale started with, which is, and you didn't hear, uh, but it is uh, Jesus is the Christ, or Jesus is the Messiah, right? Uh, but we could fill in that blank any number of ways, right? Any number of ways. Uh, and I, wanna, I want you to continue to think about how you would fill in that blank, like in a very personal sort of way. Who is Jesus to you? I'm offering you options over the course of these seven weeks. Uh, last week we started with Jesus is risen and Jesus is Lord. And, uh, and all of these, by the way, there's no, well, there are some wrong answers, <laughs> But, but there's a lot of good answers, is my point. Uh, there are a lot of good answers. Before we get into one of those good answers, let's uh, begin with a word of prayer. God, our Father in heaven, almighty, we come to you now and we ask, Lord, that, uh, that, you, reveal ourself, that you re- reveal yourself to us. Through the person of Jesus Christ, you revealed yourself to us, and through the Holy Spirit, you continue to reveal yourself to us, and I pray this morning uh, that here and now that you speak to us, Lord, that you uh, enter into our hearts, uh, and that you continue to carve out your way within us, that you continue to carve out that path in which we say Jesus is Lord. We pray this all in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Amen. Uh, This morning, if I weren't uh, doing the series I'm doing, and if the title didn't have to be Jesus is Lord, uh, I would probably choose something like, who's in charge here? Uh, Or something catchy. Uh, Maybe that's not catchy. Uh, But the real question this morning is, who's in charge, right? And a subset who do you trust? And hopefully, the who's in charge and who do you trust are one and the same, right? Sometimes they're not, right, in life. We, we have people who are in charge, and we happen to not trust them. Or we have people who we trust, they just happen to not be in charge. But we're talking in an ultimate sense, right? In an ultimate sense. Who's in charge here? Who do you trust? And I want you to just kind of Soak this one in for a second and ask this again in its most ultimate sense. Like when you look around the world and when you think about how you operate in life and how you walk through the world, who's in charge, right? In your mind, who's in charge? And the answer's going to be manifold. Uh, There's going to be a bunch of answers to it, right? Uh, if you're a child, you might say, well, my mom and dad are in charge, and you're right, right? Or if you're uh, a, a youth, you, you might say, well, my teacher is in charge of the classroom, and you'd be right, right? But there's a hierarchy of who's in charge. Well, who's in charge of that teacher? Well, the principal. You know? Or who's in charge of, of, uh, of uh, all of us? Well, well, maybe we might point to government officials, or we might point to the president. But I mean above that, right? Who's really in charge? And this is not a new question. This is not something uh, that uh, we just decided to ask ourselves this week. This is something that every human society that has ever existed has had to ask. Who's in charge? In the first century church, the phrase, Jesus is Lord, 
is a statement of faith. It's a statement of faith. Jesus is Lord. It's probably the first statement of faith that ever existed. Before there was the Apostles' Creed or the Nicene Creed or this attempt to uh, winnow down and shape a confession of faith, the simplest confession of faith that we know is Jesus is Lord. And in the first century, a Lord could be anybody who is indeed kind of above you in that hierarchical system, right? It might be a servant-to-master relationship, and, and often in a first-century world, it is. Right? But it might not be that. It might be something else. Jesus gets called Lord any number of times in the New Testament, and when people call him Lord, they're not always saying, you are God. They might be sometimes. But often, they're just simply giving him a, a, some sort of sign of respect, master or Lord or, or sir, right? But we know that this word Lord has got a, a lot of meanings. Uh, and in a first century context, one of the most important meanings that it has is indeed the highest Lord of all, the Lord of Lords, God himself. And so as we think today about what it means for Jesus to be Lord, it's worth asking, who's in charge here and who do you trust? When I say that uh, the, uh, the, the phrase, Jesus is Lord, is one of the first uh, slogans that we have or one of the first confessions of faith, we find it in a number of passages, and I'll, just, I'll read a few for you. The first one is one that you should know well and have probably heard any number of times. It's from Romans chapter 10, verse 9. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord... If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you'll be saved. Right? This is one of these that we uh, ask our children to memorize often. And it again, is a, we, we do this because it's a shrinking down of what we want our children to know and what we should know. Namely, it's kind of this week and, and last week. Right? Jesus is Lord, and Jesus was raised from the dead. Jesus is risen, and Jesus is Lord. And if you confess these things, and if you believe them in your heart, Romans 10.9 says, then you will be saved. Or 1 Corinthians 12.3, Therefore, I want, to, uh, I want you to understand that no one uh, speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Right? And here, I imagine Paul, as he's writing this, he has in mind, he probably has in mind, actually, baptism. And we'll get to that in a moment. But he has in mind somebody going through the baptismal waters where they would ask, what do you have to say about yourself? And the person would respond, I have to say that Jesus is Lord. That's what they would say in the baptismal waters. Or Acts 8 14 to 16. Now, when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit, for he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only believed, oh, they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. 
right? And here again, it'd be very simple to just walk straight through the Lord part of that, but the Lord Jesus is intentional here. Being baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus, and then Acts 8 connects this with the need for the filling of the Holy Spirit. Acts 19, similar point. I'm going to read uh, a little bit up front, but the main thrust of it is in the fifth verse. But starting in verse 1, to give you a little context, it happened while Paul, uh, it, and it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. And there he found some disciples. And he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, No, we don't know uh, what this Holy Spirit is. And he said, Into what then were you baptized? And they strangely answer, Into John's baptism. And then Paul says, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is, Jesus. And here's the key passage. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of, here it is again, the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. One last example of the use of the Lord Jesus as a confessional connected to the baptismal waters we find in 1 Corinthians 6, 11. And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, and you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of our God, right? To say that Jesus is Lord is often connected with the baptismal waters, and indeed this is something I do as well. I ask the same question of everybody who walks through baptism. And I, I ask it in front of the congregation. And the question that I ask, which could very easily just, uh, you might just not even think through these words, but, but I want us to pause this morning and to think through it, I ask this, do you believe that Jesus Christ is your Lord and your Savior, right? Do you believe that Jesus Christ is your Lord and your Savior? And there's a lot of buzzwords in there, a lot of churchy words, a lot of words that we get so used to, we often just kind of to jump over. Do you believe that Jesus is the Christ and that he is your Lord and he's your Savior? There's five words there that are really, really important. And sometimes we let those words just slip off of our tongue and we fail to remember and we, we fail to bring them back and put them into our heart. And what does it mean to have Jesus as the Lord of our life? Well, who do you trust and who's in charge? I wanted to take the time today to tie 
what we're talking about to baptism for a few reasons. One is that we've got a line of people interested in baptism that has kind of, uh, well, it's gotten bigger, and I need to revisit with some of you uh, and try to figure out a plan of how we're going to do these baptisms, because I've been waiting a year, and I'm kind of excited to have a baptism again. It's been a little too long, frankly. It's probably my most favorite thing I do is getting to baptize people. But secondly, and this actually gets with uh, what uh, Beth Davis said in in the children's sermon, uh, there is a covenantal moment that happens in one's baptism that is also happening when one says Jesus is Lord. It's making a promise is the way she put it. It's making a promise. It's saying, this is who I'm serving as the, uh, the Lord of my life, the, the chief person, the person in charge. Right? It's not all of these other things. It's just this one thing. Jesus is Lord. And it becomes a, a reorientation to the world. It reframes how you walk through the world. If Jesus is in charge of the world in which you live in, Well, that changes everything. But if Jesus is not in charge of the world you live in, and somebody else is, whether that somebody else is Joe Biden, whether that somebody else is uh, some corporate executive uh, in a multinational corporation somewhere, right? Whether it's uh, Mark Zuckerberg uh, in charge of your Facebook feed. Is this who you trust? Are these the people who are in charge in your life? It makes a huge difference, doesn't it? Who's in charge here? I also bring up baptism because today we take communion. Every, uh, if you don't know this, every second Sunday of the month we take communion. And we will this morning, and we will next month as well, and the month after that. And the two sacraments, we call them sacraments, they go side by side. And the one sacrament, baptism, is something you do once. And you make the promise once. And you say, Jesus is indeed the Lord of my life. And you say, I'm going to live according to that frame of reference. And I'm going to reframe everything I think in this life according to the fact that Jesus is in charge and not these other things. And then you realize how difficult that is. And you need a lifetime to work that out. Which is why every month we come back to the altar. We come back to the moment where Jesus offered himself for us to remind us that on the cross of all places is where Jesus is crowned King of the Jews and the King of my life. And then in the resurrection, it is proven to be true. This is what we do every month because it reminds us, oh yeah, I need to give over my heart once again to the Lord Jesus Christ. I need to remind myself over and over, where have I not allowed Jesus into my life? What have I held back? Where have I said, you can be in charge of of most things, but, but not this one thing? What is that in your life? This is what we do once a month when we take communion. We remind ourselves that it's all Jesus. 
Paul talks uh, about being a living sacrifice, and I might have said this before, but being uh, a, a dead sacrifice is one thing. Uh, it's kind of easy to sacrifice something and then it's done. But to be a living sacrifice is to have to sacrifice oneself over and over and over and over again because it sure is easy to crawl off that altar, right? And so we have to remind ourselves of what we said in the baptismal, that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus is in charge here, and we have to remind ourselves that we need to be living this way. So what does it mean to say that Jesus is Lord? Well, it means a few things. One thing in the ancient world is it would have been a poke in the eye at the Caesar. Because the Caesar, well, he said he's Lord. He used those words, in fact. Domitian, at the end of the first century, he wanted people to call him my Lord and my God, which happens to be the exact thing Thomas calls Jesus at the end of the Gospel of John, my Lord and my God. And so to say that that Jesus is Lord is to say that Caesar is not, which is a very political statement to say, and certainly translates into today's parlance as well. But I would want to add to it. It's not just political anymore, because we have, as I've already said, lots of people who are vying for being in charge anymore. It's not just American politics, it's these multinational corporations, it's various institutions, it's our media, whether traditional or social media. There's lots of things that are vying for being in charge of your life. Some in overt ways and some in covert ways that you might not even recognize. To ask the question, who's in charge here, we might get a a variety of responses today, and it's important that to each of these other ways, we actually say, Jesus is Lord, not that other thing. The second thing I would say, to say that Jesus is Lord is to say that Jesus is God. Jesus is God. In the Old Testament, the word, there are lots of words for God, uh, but one of uh, the most important ones is Adonai. And in fact, uh, when God's name gets used uh, in the Old Testament, uh, a good Jewish person actually doesn't say the name of God. They instead replace that with the word Adonai. And so they say Adonai, which means Lord, right? And so then when we get to the New Testament, and we hear the Lord language used a whole lot, we have to ask ourselves, well, is there a connection between what they're saying about Jesus as Lord and God himself? And I think the answer becomes evident in any number of places, in fact. I'm just going to give you the one that we use from our Old Testament passage for today. Our Old Testament passage was from Isaiah 45, and it says, Turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God. There is no other. We clearly know who the subject is, right? By myself I've sworn from my mouth has gone out in righteousness a word that shall not return. And he says, To me every knee shall bow, and every tongue shall swear allegiance. This, by the way, allegiance is another word I like to use for faith. I think the word faith 
has lost some of its meaning, but one of the meanings of the word faith is certainly allegiance. To whom do you have faith? You could ask, to whom do you owe allegiance? But when we get to uh, the New Testament, well, Paul in Philippians 2, what does he say? He says, of Jesus himself, Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. All of it, right? All of it. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And so we see what? We see Paul taking this language from Isaiah 45 and using the exact language to describe Jesus' role. To say that Jesus is Lord is to say that Jesus is God. To say that Jesus is Lord, finally, is to say that I am a servant. I am a servant. Which uh, in modern America does not sound nice, right? We like what? We like our freedoms, our liberties, the American way. We don't want to be servants. We don't want to be in service to somebody. We want to be free. And this is not what we find in our New Testament. I find quite the opposite. We actually find something very strange, though, because even when we say that Jesus is Lord and that makes us servants of the Lord Jesus, what we notice is that for Jesus to become Lord, at least this is how Paul puts it, well, it took this interesting uh, diversion. There's a way to becoming a Lord that might seem counterintuitive, certainly to our modern ears, but I imagine even to their ears. This is the fuller statement of what Paul says in Philippians 2, which I just read the end of. He says this, starting in verse 5, "...have this mind among yourselves, which was in Jesus Christ, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of..." and there's the word a servant, right? He becomes the servant. The Lord becomes the servant. This is the way, this is the means of becoming Lord. And Paul goes on, being born in the likeness of men, being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And then comes the phrase I just read, which is, therefore, God has highly exalted him. Every knee is going to bow at his name. Every tongue is going to confess that Jesus is Lord. But the path to lordship looks quite different than you might think. And it's a path, it's a way, it's a means that you and I are expected to participate in. We are servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are intended, when we say that Jesus is Lord, we are intended to be in service of the Lord Jesus. And you might think, well, with this comes a tremendous amount of freedom, and it does. 
Luther uh, has this wonderful quote that has stuck with me ever since seminary. Uh, I looked it up to make sure I got it just right, but he writes this treatise called The Freedom of a Christian, in which he talks about Christian freedoms that we all enjoy, and we do. We, we, We enjoy freedoms as a Christian, and he says, a Christian is a perfectly free Lord. He uses these exact languages, uh, these words. Uh, A Christian is a perfectly free Lord of all, subject to none. And then he juxtaposes that by continuing and saying that a Christian is a perfectly dutiful servant of all, subject to all. Complete freedom, subject to none, complete servitude, subject to all. So which is it, Luther? Which is it? And the answer is both. He's right. We hold both of these in tension. We have a tremendous amount of freedom as Christians. But when we say that Jesus is Lord, we are giving over our entire lives to Christ, and therefore, to the world that he died for. Who's in charge here, and who do you trust? In a moment, uh, we're going to take communion, and when we do, I, I want you to think about a couple things. I don't often offer an altar call, uh, but it has been a little while since I've seen a lot of you, uh, and we've got a, a lot of people outside as well, if you don't know. And, um, Well, this morning, I want you to think about a few things, because at some point, it's possible that you've never said or believed that Jesus is Lord, and if that's you this morning, I would love to talk to you, and I would love to fix that, because I can assure you this, that with Jesus as Lord of your life, everything has a place, and there is In that, a sense of peace that you can find nowhere else with someone else in charge. Or maybe this morning you've said and gone through the waters and said to yourself or to the congregation, Jesus is Lord, but you didn't know what it meant. And I wouldn't suggest that somehow you weren't saved in that moment, but I would say this. Maybe you need to have a conversation with somebody, me or uh, one of our deacons or one of our teachers, one of your teachers, one of your parents, and that would be a good thing this morning. Or lastly, maybe you've said it, Jesus is Lord. Maybe you've believed it, but maybe, like pretty much all of us, we need a refresher course. And so as we take communion this morning, we remind ourselves of Christ's sacrifice on the cross for us, of his lordship in that moment, and the lordship we offer to him by bringing our own selves to the altar. Let's pray. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Holy Trinity, we come to you this morning. Lord, in the person of Jesus Christ, you came to this earth to redeem this earth. And you were exalted for it. Exalted to a place of honor and glory, to a place of lordship. 
And the kingdom of God begins in earnest in that moment. And God, for many of us, we are participants, we are citizens in that kingdom. Some of us may not be, and I pray for them this morning. Lord, for those of us who are citizens, though, I pray that also, that, Lord, we find uh, our way before you, giving you our all. Not half, not 60%, not even 90%, not even 99%. God, you want it all. It's only then that the world makes sense. The world you created. The world that you spun into order. God, may that be said of us. We pray this all in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Amen.